Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Are you one to set goals or go with the flow? I lived to go with the flow for far too many years. I'm most creative when I don't have a specific plan, but I've learned that a goal without a plan is just a wish or a dream. To accomplish what you want to accomplish, you have to have an action plan. Right now, I'm aiming to fill my coaching practice with five more musician and actor clients that I can help them attract fans, media, and industry so that the world can experience their talent. My plan to achieve that is to offer 20 free coaching sessions over the next few weeks. If you're looking to increase your confidence and online presence so that you can book more gigs, you can schedule a session at dianefoy.com slash booking. Uh, We are in mid-April. If you're listening to this at a later date, you can still check the link and see if it's still available if you listen to this later. Today's guest, Barry Bergman, played a key role in launching the careers of ACDC, Meatloaf, John Paul Young, and Flash in the Pan when he was vice president and professional manager at Edward B. Marks Music. He went on to become vice president of creative affairs for United Artists Music Publishing. In 1981, he started Barry Bergman Management, representing recording artists and Ellie Mac's music and Wood Monkey Music, representing songwriters. He has published over 400 songs recorded by artists such as Cher, Michael Bolton, Joan Jett, Kiss, and Helix. He had hits with Paul Kerak, Kix, and Kathy Matea, to name a few. Barry was inducted into the Personal Managers Hall of Fame in 2018 and is the founder and chairman emeritus of the Music Managers Forum U.S., an international not-for-profit organization with over a 1,000 members worldwide. The MMF was formed to further the interests of talent managers and their artists in all fields of the music industry. I was a member back in the day. You know, those moments that I thought I wanted to be a music manager. They always have great seminars, workshops, networking events. So it's definitely a great organization to belong to if you are a music manager or a self-managed artist. Currently, Barry is an entertainment business consultant, publisher, and hosts a music industry seminar called Music Industry Secrets You Can't Google, 
focusing on management, marketing, music publishing, and promotion. He also has a connection to my guest from episode 48, Michael DeBar. He was the music supervisor on the Michael DeBar documentary, Who Do You Want Me To Be? We had a great conversation about music management, publishing, and the future of the music industry. So I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah. So you've had a very long career in the music industry. I won't admit to it being that long. No. <laughs> it, started in, it really started full-time in 1975. So uh, that's like 20, uh, 46 years ago. Wow. And so it was, did you have definite, definite career stages of manager, publisher, other things, or was it all kind of, you kind of always did all of it? I'll give you a little history. It all started when my father took a, we, he worked, uh, he worked seven days a week and to put food on the table. I came from a lower middle-class family and he knew I was very into music because every time I got a gift or a few dollars, I would buy records. Mm-hmm. Music was my life as a, when I was a kid and I was about 10 or 11 years old. And he, uh, one day comes to me and he says, Barry, I'm going to, uh, take, uh, Sunday off and I'm taking you to the Alan Freed rock and roll show. Alan Freed was the king of rock and roll. He was the first guy. He was a disc jockey that came from Cleveland to New York City. He was on 1010 Winds in New York City here, and uh, which is now a news station. And he was like a Svengali. If he said a record was going to be a hit, it was a hit. You know, no matter what this guy, uh, you know, uh, said, it came to pass. Well, he was the first guy that did rock and roll shows. And... Uh, you know, it used to be called race music, but he, t- he coined the term rock and roll. And uh, he would have, you know, 10, 11, 12 acts, a dozen acts, whether it be Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Paul Anka, whoever. And they would do their singles, their hits of the day, and it would have a house band that would, uh, would, that would play. And I went to that show and I uh, sat there and I was mesmerized. And I said, one day I'm going to have somebody up there performing. And that's how it really all began for me. Was there any artist in particular that you saw at those shows? Every one of them. Everyone. (laughs) And I met most of them because I looked at the, you know, I said, I'm going to go meet these people somehow, some way. And if people, if anyone listening here wants to go see some photos, they can go to my website barrybergman.com, B-A-R-R-Y-B-E-R-G-M-A-N.com. And I have a a photo section in the back there uh, with stuff that goes back 50 years ago to the Alan Freed days. Wow. You know, with the photos. Uh, And uh, I've met Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Paul Anka. You know, I met a, a lot of them that I said I would meet. And that's how my whole career, I believe, I believe it began when I was 10, 11 years old, sitting at the uh, Brooklyn Paramount Theater with my father back in those days. And I, nobody told me it would take me another uh, 20 years to get into the business full time, but I didn't get in uh, for another 20 years. I, you know, when I was 
17, 18 years old, I would run around uh, uptown and uh, try to get a job. And I would have worked for practically nothing just to get in. And it didn't happen. And it didn't, it finally took place in 1975. And I ended up uh, at a music publishing firm called Edward B. Marks Music, which was an old line family run business that went back to 1894. And they uh, were in the Stone Age when I got there. And my job was basically to bring them into the modern times, into the 20th century and uh, 21st century. And uh, I uh, ran around and, to find things and uh, came up with this act that I loved called Meatloaf with the bat out of hell. And two out of three ain't bad, which I was very responsible for making that single happen. And I, we signed him. And then I uh, brought in ACDC. We have, I believe in that one, huge. And I traveled around with them and did everything. And I remember the days when they played for five people. <laughs> and they were the hottest working rock and roll band that I ever saw. Really mm -hmm. believe and we had things like uh, What a Difference a Day Makes with Esther Phillips. It was work for the disco age. And uh, and then I, you know, uh, brought in a lot of other things there. You know, a group called Flash in the Pan, which was related to the ACDC brothers. And we had a hit with that called Hey St. Peter. And uh, then I uh, left there in 1979 and I went to United Artists Music Publishing which was the film company. In 1974, I couldn't get a job in the business. In 1979, they were all waving checks. <laughs> How did you learn the business on your own? Uh, uh, OJ Kid, on the job training. Yeah. Very simple. I knew nothing about the business or how it worked, but I learned as I went. Yeah. I really started in it when I was 18 out on my own. I had found a, a young fellow by the name of Richie Cordell, who I believed in, and I pulled him out of what appeared to be a bad deal. He, I was about 18, he was about 20. And uh, we worked for uh, about five years together, but he was impossible because of all of his drug use. Uh, you know, it was terrible. And so we eventually parted company, but he was an immense talent, and I, I and I realized uh, afterwards uh, that I had picked a good one, even though it wasn't working for me at the time. Because he went on to produce all the Tommy James and the Shondell hits. Oh, yeah. He wrote and produced Moni Moni, I Think We're Alone Now, Mirage. And he went on later on to do Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll, which sold who knows how many millions. And, uh, you know, so that was good. But that was really the beginnings of uh, my career, Richie Cordell. And we put out a couple of records, he and I. Uh, he was the artist. I ran the business. And that's how I really learned the business, from doing things and making mistakes. Right. And, I have, and I firmly believe that it's the mistakes we make that are the greatest teachers in the world. Yeah, for the sure. Mistakes are the gifts. And because uh, I never learned anything, Diane, from something going right. Yeah. Never learned anything from something <laughs> going right. But I learned a lot from a lot of things we did wrong. Yeah. 
And so how, how were you involved with um, both of those names that you act, act, said is ACDC and Meatloaf? How did you get involved with them and what kind of work did you do together? Well, you know, we, I worked for the publisher at the time and I was like a surrogate manager to them. Uh, uh, you know, I, I had learned a lot about the business and I had made a lot of friends in the business. And uh, I always believed in motivation without irritation, you know, that uh, you got a lot more with honey than with, with vinegar. But uh, I, uh, somebody had mentioned Meatloaf to me, and I ran to see him at Carnegie Hall on a tribute. It was a salute to Reno Sweeney's, which was a club in Greenwich Village, New York here. And he was just amazing. He opened his mouth, and I said, I got to get that. It was phenomenal. And ACDC, I saw a little video of that live show, which I thought was rather incredible. And I'm really thrilled to say that here we are 40 years later, and I still have a relationship with the ACDCs. Yeah. But I was basically the music publisher and uh, the surrogate manager, and they were from Australia. And Meatloaf had a manager, this fellow David Sonnenberg, who was an attorney. And, uh, you know, we all worked together to make this thing, to make these things happen. You know, I had Meatloaf two years before there was a record deal. Right. That's how much I believed them. Right. And how did you work with the, if they already had a manager, how did you, how was that relationship? Well, I wasn't the manager. Like I said, I worked for the company. I was the music publisher, but I was like a surrogate manager. You know, I, uh, I acted like a manager in spite of it all. And, uh, and it worked very, very well. And I have a great relationship with the, with the ACDCs, with Angus. I saw him the last time he was in New York, which was when he played at Madison Square Garden. And I was honored that I was the only one he would see after the show with 150 people sitting in the press room waiting for him. He wouldn't see anybody. And I spent, you know, a good length of time with him, a good amount of time. And uh, I'm thrilled that I, you know, have the, you know these relationships that have lasted. Yeah, you know? basically, it's all about relationships. And well, you meet them as you go. I believe that you're going to meet the people along the way that you need to meet, whether it be for good, bad, or indifferent. And uh, you know, uh, I don't. I believe if somebody's meant to be successful in this industry, nothing can stop it. It will happen. Yeah. You know, I, sp I don't spend much time thinking about how anything will happen. I spend most of my time uh, on uh, just getting up and doing things and making them happen. Right. Yes. I do find that there's a lot of artists that, well, I can't do this because I don't have a manager. I can't do that because I don't have an agent. Well, I'm like, we're in a do-it-yourself world, Diane. What world are they in? <laughs> I don't know. They're not going to be in my world. They would have never been in my world because... You know, it's hard enough uh, uh, becoming successful at anything without a team. It's even more it's even more difficult when the subject that you believe in is not proactive and doesn't do anything. My greatest advice, my greatest advice to artists, you know, up and coming people is, you know, get something going on your own. Otherwise, nobody's going to be interested. Because I was getting 15, 20 calls a week. I need a manager. I need a manager. I need a manager to take me to the next level. I have this great album. You know something, Diane? I never met it. I never spoke to anybody or met anybody that told me they had a lousy album. Yeah. 
they always had great albums. But when the minute I would say to them, uh, and what's going on with your record? You know, there was a dead silence. You know, they, uh, they couldn't sell out any clubs in the area where they lived. They didn't sell any product. They didn't have big streaming numbers. They had nothing going on. And I would tell them, you don't need a manager. You got nothing to manage. Yeah. You haven't done anything to, uh, you know, warrant getting a manager. And besides, what people don't realize is if you're calling on people and trying to get people to work with who are very successful in the business and, you know, who are doing things, they're not going to take time away from successful things that generate them tons of money to put it into this unknown that has nothing going on. Yeah. It's not going to happen. It's just, it's, it never will happen. Yeah. I had the same conversations as a publicist. You know, there's an old saying, and there was, there's an old saying, and I'm not going to come from, and I'm not coming from a religious place, but uh, God helps those who help themselves. If you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And people would say, how can you tell me when I'll be ready for a manager? I, I, and my response is very simple. You don't have to uh, worry about getting a manager. If you've got something going, they'll find you. I, I chased after people to, to meet them and get to know them when they, I felt they had something. Yeah, that's why I, I base my coaching on how to attract fans, media, and industry. Because right. you want to attract them. You want to be doing so well, doing amazing things that everyone wants to get involved. Well, you know, it's, it's a funny thing about this industry. But uh, if you have anything going... You will know it because everyone will come out of the woodwork. You'll have friends you never knew you had. You'll have people calling you from all over the place. And, you know, I found out when I went out on my own. I went out on my own in 1981. It's now 40 years I've been out on my own. And I've reinvented myself a few times. But uh, when I had a big hit, which was Don't Shed a Tear by Paul Carrick, I... Uh, co-owned that song and I managed the writer and everything, uh, the whole world called. Yeah. I didn't have to go looking for anybody. I woke up one day and the phones were going crazy and they were going crazy from all over the world. And people that wanted to do business with me, I met them all. They would come, they would fly and come to see you wherever you are. You know, you could be the nicest person in the world. If you got nothing going, they don't care. Yeah. And you could be the biggest, uh, you know, yo-yo. And uh, if you got something going, they'll be there in a flash. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be more than just an amazing song. Well, you it know, starts well, there. You got to have something going on with that amazing song. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing everythings that mean nothing. Right. And so what is the role of the publisher? Well, the publisher is like the overseer of, of the songs. What, what do you wish artists knew about music publishing? Well, there's so many things to know about it. I came up through the music publishing business. And what I did three years ago is I started to wind down my management music publishing career. And I started to give a seminar 
called Music Industry Secrets You Can't Google. And I go into music publishing in depth. And I go into management, music publishing, marketing, and promotion. Because everybody has uh, an album of music, but nobody has a plan. Nobody, uh, you know, has any clue as to what they're going to do with this music after it's created. But I will, you know, if anyone wants to come to that seminar, they should go to my website. I'm going to, you know, have a date soon that I will post up there. I've done this thing for three years, but I don't have a date right now. I didn't put one up yet. And uh, they should come to it. And, it's, you know, I don't charge a fortune. I charge $180, and they get, like, four hours three to four hours yeah. and i bring an attorney in who uh, talks to them about the protection of copyrights brands and trademarks he answers all their questions so they're getting like free legal advice at the yeah. seminar and i answer everyone's questions but i get into music publishing in, in depth as to the best kinds of deals to make uh i talk about uh, you know uh, in the course of this seminar I talk about how I listen to music and how you monetize music. What's the purpose of being in a business if you can't make a living doing it? I mean, this business is not for hobby, for hobbyists. It's for professional people who are serious about having a career. Yeah, and that's why you have to learn the business. Yes, and uh, you know, I can't sit here in a in this podcast in a few minutes and give you a, a music publishing. Uh, you know, uh, expose, but I will, you know, talk a lot about music publishing and songwriting and, uh, the protection of copyrights and everything, uh, in the seminar. Right. That's amazing. And how has your advice to artists changed over the years or has it? My advice to artists. Well, I don't, th I think my advice to artists has always been consistent. I told Angus Young from ACDC, He's the, uh, the lead guitar player who runs around like the nut on the stage in the schoolboy outfit. God bless him. Uh, I told him in 1977, he called me one day and he said, Barry, nobody's playing our music. They don't like our music. I said, Angus, you just keep doing what you do and the pendulum will swing. Because at the end of the day, Diane, greatness is greatness and it will come to pass. Yeah. And, uh, and it did. And it's the same thing with all of these things that I worked with. You know, I was very fortunate and blessed. I must have had, had 200 to 300 cover recordings, maybe 350 of them. And I've had sync licenses and I've had uh, music on TV and music and uh, all kinds of promotional stuff and, and everything else, you know. And it wasn't because I just had great songs. We were proactive. We were doing things right. and we were making things happen. But uh, my advice to artists over the years has not really changed. I believe you got to be very proactive. You can't uh, depend on someone else. Nobody's going to make you successful. You're going to have to help make yourself successful and hopefully recruit a couple of people that are going to believe in your dream. And I, I believe if you're, I've always told artists that if you're going to be successful in this business, nothing will stop it. It will happen. And that uh, I've always believed that the, uh, and I've told it to, to everybody, is that it all begins with the song. Yeah. I don't care how great the performance is. The live show is, uh, is, is, can be very important. 
depending on the genre of music, etc. But uh, you know, if if it's not in the song, it's uh, not going to happen. You know, it's you know when you when you uh, think about uh, you know people when people hear something, they want to identify with it and they want to be able to hum it. And you gotta and since we have uh, short attention spans nowadays, you gotta uh, be able to uh, you know uh, hook them in in the first thirty seconds, sixty seconds. Yeah, or skip. You know. It's or otherwise they're going to move on to something else yeah and it's all about the song because you know if you think about it nobody sees you play or wants to go see anybody before they hear you what you're doing yeah yeah you know and so much of it today is word of mouth you know and and i believe the uh, music industry is extremely healthy you know if and all and the only thing that's really changed in the last 20 years the way i see it is how we consume music that's the only thing that's really changed is the distribution of it and the consumption of it everything else is basically the same you have to get it to people's ears you have to get your shows to people's eyes you have to get onto the uh, spotify playlists you have to you want to get your videos on youtube and you got to get out there, promote and market, and, and you know make things happen. And one thing I will say about videos on YouTube, the things that usually become successful, whether it be YouTube, TikTok, or anywhere else, uh, are novelties. They're usually something funny or something interesting or something very different. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's got it's got to be something that stands out. Those are the things that usually go viral. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this huge production. No. It's a unique idea. Yeah. And you can't, you know, depend on getting a major label recording contract. You got to, you know, you got you got to uh, approach it as if to say I'm going to be independent and if the record deal from the major comes great, if not I got to do it on my own with my own team. Yeah, that's the other thing that artists hold out for. It's like I want a record deal in a year. Everybody, you know, wants a record deal and a publishing deal. <laughs> And I'm going to say something, you can't depend on either one of them. Yeah. And I've never made a multinational publishing deal for anybody, and I will explain that in the seminar. I don't believe multinational publishing deals are worth, are worth it. Yeah. Unless you're such a prolific writer like Bruno Mars or somebody else like that, and, and they're going to generate you uh, loads and loads and loads of cover recordings. But otherwise, you know, if you look at the, uh, the the big acts from over the years, a lot of them, like whether it be Bruce Springsteen, they own their own music. Yeah. They have somebody administer it for them around the world and, get, and give them an administration fee, but they never made publishing deals. And I'm going to explain why and get into that in depth when I do my next seminar. That's great. Yeah, it's all these little things that uh, artists need to be aware of absolutely you know and i we we will uh give them and i'll answer all their questions too if they come to the seminar right that's you know something i definitely intend to do you know is answer their questions what have been some of the highlights 
when you look back, what are your favorite memories? My favorite memories. Well, the Alan Freed Rock and Roll Show will always be a big one. Yeah. That's where it all began. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, another big memory was the first time I heard the, uh, the meatloaf music on uh, the radio. Yeah. You know, that was a big memory. Another one was the first time I heard Richie Cordell, my own uh, act when I was 20, uh, 18 years old, 19 years old on the radio. Because I had gotten that play too. And how did I do that? I got in the car and I went to Baltimore, Washington and Virginia. And then I went the other way, all the way up to Buffalo. I would go to, uh, you know, uh, Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, all the way up Boston and, you know, all the way up the East Coast, right up to Buffalo, New York. Unfortunately, I made a, uh, a good friend up there at, in Buffalo at WKBW, which was a 50,000 watt station at the time. It was a DJ named Joey Reynolds. He was, he, he was the number one jockey in the country. And he loved my record and he became a good friend to me. And he was playing my record and I used to hear it in Brooklyn, New York, where I lived from Buffalo, 500 miles away. You know, and uh, that was a thrilling moment. And, uh, you know, another thrilling moment was when I went out on my own. You know, that was something I never was led to believe by my family could ever happen. You know, I was always told you got to get a job and have a paycheck. And uh, the most thrilling moment was I started an organization in 1993 called the International Managers Forum. Today, it's the Music Managers Forum. And I headed, headed it up and ran it for 25 years, 26 years. It's now in its 28th year, I think it is. And uh, it's about 27, 28 years old now. And a thrilling moment was when uh, I got a call from a kid in California who uh, wasn't, uh, you know, he was having some problems with his band and he started to talk to me about his band. And I felt something really wasn't right when I, when I was uh, speaking to him. And this was on a Friday, around 5.30 my time. I'll never forget this. And I told him to hold on for a minute. And I picked up one of my other phone lines. And I called ahead and canceled my Friday night plans out. And I went back to him because I knew something was wrong. And I listened and I listened and I asked him questions and I found out he was getting ready to commit suicide and kill himself. He had a, he had a blowout with his band. Uh, he had a blowout with his family. He broke up with his girlfriend that week. And I don't have to tell you when you're 22, 23 years old and the world falls apart like that, you know, you were just, uh, you know, he was very distraught. Well, I spent three and a half years trying, uh, three and a half hours trying to bring them down. Unfortunately, I was successful and lucky to do that. But that to me was the biggest highlight of my life. I, uh, you know, not just my career, my life. Because if you can go ahead and save another human being and help somebody uh, work through their issues, then you've accomplished something. You've really done something. Yeah. Because I have never been focused on getting wealthy. I've been focused on making a difference. And that's what I tried to do when I started the organization. 
which fortunately we were able to do a lot of positive things over the years, and I'm glad that it's going to live on. It's got a new management team in there now, and I'm glad it's going to live on, and it's worldwide. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that was the exciting highlight. Yeah, and probably back then there were not as many uh, mental health resources for him to go to. Well, this wasn't that far back. This was only about 15 years ago. Yeah, but it seems like it's only the last five years the music industry has placed an emphasis on mental health. Have, I don't think he was mentally ill. I just think that, you know, he was in a bad moment and didn't know how to cope with it. Yeah, yeah. But he was, I don't think he was mentally ill. Right. And I finally met him. You know, I had a big birthday uh, six uh, six years ago, and he flew in for the birthday and came to it. And that was, you know, terrific because I had a load of friends and family there and everything. And he got up and he told that story and I was amazed, you know. Yeah, that's why I love coaching. It's the one-on-one -on -one connection. It's it's life-changing. And having someone say the work is life-changing, it's amazing. It's Absolutely. Absolutely. I've gotten some of my greatest joy from uh, working with all of these young people over the years. Yeah, and to make a difference. It's amazing. That's for sure. Yeah. Cool. So where where do you see the music industry going and where are you going? <laughs> where am I going and where's the industry? The industry, I believe, is very healthy. The love of music has never been greater. It's really there. Mm-hmm. And I, and fortunately, streaming is bringing it uh, back for the labels. And uh, it's, you know, I think we've hit the bottom already and we're coming back. But I, I believe that it's going to be a while now until things come back the way we've known them to be. For sure. You know, we're, with this pandemic that's going on still. And, uh, you know, uh, if people think that it's going to be the way it used to be, I think they're going to be a, a little shocked. I don't. Yeah. Because I'll tell you what I, I think I what I think is gonna change, I think a lot of the corporations have seen that people can work from home, that they don't have to come into offices. They've uh, they've uh, paid less to get things done, uh, you know, creatively. I don't believe they're gonna pay uh, the huge advances they used to pay. Yeah. I don't believe that they're going to uh you know uh I think they're going to become, uh, I think the business is going to become uh, more of a business and less of a uh, free-for-all. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think it's going to be a lot more serious. But it's going to be hard to book tours because you're going to have every act wanting to book something at the same time. Yeah, when everything opens up. And also, like, the audiences, like, the audiences are not going to immediately come back because they're going to be kind well, of weird at first. A lot of the young people will. Yeah. But, you know, the Heritage Acts, you know, who depend on, uh, you know, uh, playing out live, I, I, they appeal to adults and older people. And I think they're going to have problems. Yeah. You know? And I think a lot more stuff is going to go virtual and stay virtual. Yeah. yeah a lot more stuff is going to be Internet-based. You know, even though people think, wow, everyone's going to go back to every venue, da, 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 da. It's not going to be like that for a while. Yeah. In Toronto, we've lost all our music venues pretty much. There's a few still sticking around, but 
lot of them we'll closed down. A lot of stuff here too, but uh, we'll see what survives and what doesn't. You know, but uh, my future, I plan to uh, do uh, you know do more seminars, and I plan to do more consulting work. Right. And I do personal one-on-one -on -one consultations also for people. And, uh, you know, that's what uh, I've gotten clients from the seminars, which has been good. And we'll see wherever else the business takes me. Wonderful. You know, I have a, there's a music publishing catalog here. I, you know, hopefully we can bring some of these songs back to life again and give them another life. And uh, there's, uh, you know, who knows what opportunities come next. Yeah, I'm just, always open. Just to be open to it, it's great. Yeah, I'm always open, and I welcome uh, whatever opportunities might come next. And I think that there will be a bunch. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, sharing your stories, and I will include your website link in the show notes. And any final words of wisdom? Well, I will say one thing. One of the highlights that I didn't mention was I was inducted into the uh, Personal Managers Hall of Fame in, uh, on May 10th of 2018, and that was a major night, something I never thought could happen. Yeah. So taking, to, taking uh, you know, that to a word of wisdom would be the following. Uh, don't you know, worry about how things are going to happen. Let them happen. Yeah. Just keep getting up every day, do what you do, and allow universe to take you to wherever you're going yeah you know and i have a saying that i like i i always say feed your faith and starve your doubts right you know, uh stay positive you know because being positive is a uh, magnet being negative is a repellent right so uh you know i believe in the uh, putting positive energy out into the world and i believe it attracts opportunities and I believe that if you're going to uh, look for the, the bad in things, you're not going far. Yeah. Try to find the good in things. You'll find the bad if you keep looking for the bad. And, you know, you know basically it's, it'll be a, a self-reflection, you know, basically. But, uh, no, I believe that, uh, you know, you got to stay positive and you got to believe that what you're doing is going to be right. And, you know, if one is going to be in the music industry or any other industry, be in it for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, don't go into it because you think it's going to, uh, you know, solve all your problems in life. You're going to get wealthy or you're going to meet stars and you're going to be associated with uh, big names. Do it because for whatever your reason is for the right reason. Do it because you were born to be in it, not because of some other, you know, reason that... Uh, is uh, plaguing you yeah yeah you gotta love it no matter what yes and you know and it's gotta be you yeah authentic. it's gotta be you you know i had a client going i had a client uh, years ago who was an aspiring actor and i said to him uh you know because i've said to a lot of people why do you want to be in the music business and they would all say well because i love music and I'd say, hey, my brother loves music, too, and he's not in the music business. Yeah. You know, everybody loves music. But I said to this uh, young fella at the time, I said to him, why do you want to be an actor? 
And if anyone ever gave me the right answer, it was him. He said, I don't want to be an actor. You have to be crazy. He said, I can't help it. I was born one. This is who I am. And I get up to it in the morning and I go to sleep to it at night. And he has since, uh, you know, made some films. He ended up, uh, you know, becoming a filmmaker more so than even an actor. But, uh, you know, he's done a bunch of things and I'm going to keep him anonymous. But, uh, you know, uh, that's the reason why you want to be in something, because you were born to do it. Not yeah. because you think it will be exciting or everybody's going to, you know, think highly of you if, because you're going to become a big deal. Yeah. I always coach on really knowing your why, like why, why are you chasing this dream? And so what, what is your why? What is my why? My why is very simple. I, I ultimately realized that the reason I wanted to be in this business was to make a difference in people's lives. And when people have asked me over the years, what do you do for a living? I would tell them the following. I keep people's dreams alive. And that was my why. To keep people's dreams alive. People that I believed had the talent and were decent human beings and people that I chose to want to work with. And fortunately, I can honestly say that everyone I've worked with, if we started at home plate, everyone hit a single, a double, a triple, or a home run. Yeah. Everybody was further along for the experience. We all went, we all, and we grew together. We all grew together. Yeah. That's amazing. Keep dreams alive. So thank you so much. You're very, very welcome. And don't forget, they should go to barrybergman.com. Yes. It was so great talking to Barry, and I hope you learned a lot. Definitely check out his website if you are interested in signing up for one of his future seminars, barrybergman.com. And just a reminder, if you're interested in booking an introductory coaching session with me, visit dianevoy.com slash booking. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers.